So hi, everyone, and thanks so much for joining the Badass Women in Business podcast, where I interview interesting and successful women in business so we can all learn from their experiences. Today, I'm joined by Tiffany Stevenson, who is a complete badass and who I was lucky enough to work quite closely with here at Box several years ago. Tiffany is currently the Chief People Officer at Weight Watchers and also serves as HR advisor for Semper Byron's Venture Capital. She's had a really long and interesting career, having spent time at Box, Patreon, and Sephora, as well as operating as chair of the advisory board for Hitchworks and as a member of the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the U.S. Department of Commerce, Phew. Um, finally, Tiffany has a BA in speech communication from the University of Illinois and an MBA from the Georgetown University McDonough School of Business. Welcome, Tiffany, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. What a treat to be here. It's, it's you know, and it's also great to have an excuse to catch up. So I will. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the main draw. I'm excited to catch up with you. <laughs> See you again. So, uh, so Tiff, you are the CPO of Weight Watchers. Um, can you share a little bit about what that role entails? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for even the opportunity to be in conversation to share a little bit about what happens in the people space. But I would say, long story short, like we are, you know, if you think about sort of the dimensions of what makes a business successful, you have clear business mission, strategy, goals, and KPIs. And then you have, are we operating effectively and do we have the right humans in the right roles doing the right work in the right way? And so we sort of manage that side of the house in partnership um, with the leadership team and all the humans who are invested in that business together to really make sure that we're driving the right experience, um, the right um, capabilities, um, the right acknowledgement of sort of what it takes to drive a great business, a great healthy business, and make sure that it's all um, pointing in the right direction in the right ways. And we're constantly mining for any blind spots that might be preventing us from doing that. And then uh, making sure that we're um, going after it in partnership with um, the board and partnership with um, the members we serve, um, but just kind of making sure that that's all pointing in the right direction. That's that's awesome. How many people? So, in how many people are at, at Weight Watchers? Because it's a big. It's well, it's been around forever, but um... yeah, <laughs> we are a sixty-year-old business. Uh, so we just celebrated our sixtieth birthday in May, and uh, we're so proud. We are about a little over five thousand employees over twelve countries. Um, and it's sort of a mix of roles that are um, sort of generally grouped in sort of corporate roles, which are all the roles that you would generally expect. And then a big portion of our population is field-based. And so those are the teammates who are um, hosting workshops and making sure that happens and of course contact center. Um, so that's the general sort of mix of employees. Um, we recently acquired a company um, in April of this year, uh, Weekend Health, also known as Sequence. And so um, that also provides a telehealth um, layer. So we also work with a group of physicians as well that um, that provide that for folks who are exploring clinical pathways to weight health. So yeah, so that's sort of the, the blend. So yeah, we have a unique uh, group of folks um, uh, spread across 12 countries. It's a big, uh, big organization and a big role. Um, so you're also a board advisor. What is that and how did you get into it? 
Well, I was very grateful that I was approached about uh, this opportunity. Um, I think board, board advisory work is such interesting work. And I definitely recommend that for people who are thinking in the future about board service um, or just have general curiosity around how a company works soup to nuts, like a board advisory role um, gives you an opportunity to um, think about um, providing sort of structured, generally topic-driven support to a company depending on sort of what stage they're in where um, depending on sort of this the um, the space it sort of aligns generally with your you know interest capabilities what you do professionally and you sort of advise them on a particular topic and so in some cases that advisory work because we work in the people space um, these are people focused companies so it could be looking at the efficacy of the product that they've designed or thinking about a sales motion of like, how would a um, another CHRO or CPO think about um, making a decision in this space? And you're kind of helping to fill in the blanks. In some cases, it's helping to facilitate introductions, or in some cases, it's like, which of these, like from a roadmap or timing perspective would be the right one to drive. But I think advisory work just gives you an opportunity to just get to know another business. And even kind of sitting outside of your own role, um, it's, it's really fun. It kind of scratches a very entrepreneurial itch that I've always had. So it, it's fun to kind of um, have those type, types of perspectives, but very grateful to be a part of, of that community. I was talking on mute. So, um, so when you're um, with sort of advising a board, do you meet at their board meetings or is it kind of more ad hoc? It's ad hoc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they typically will have their own board, board governance, and then um, separate from this, they'll have advisory groups. And the advisory groups would be meeting with a different uh, layer within management. So sometimes you're meeting with the product team and you're kind of helping the product, or sometimes it's the CEO, product lead, and head of sales. Um, but it's generally a step closer inside the business versus general um, governance that would sit at a board level. Interesting. Okay, so how um, did you get onto your current career path? <laughs> I don't think we have enough time in this uh, conversation. Uh, you know, what's interesting is I've always had this fascination with business and people. Like it's always been something that I've, I've you know, from my first career in college, I mean, right out of college, I started working in the hotel industry in Las Vegas, um, which could be its own podcast, legit. Um, but working in the hotel industry, um, we were um, approaching this season where we started opening new hotels. I was working for the Mirage. And at that point, we were getting ready to open um, the Bellagio and we were getting ready to open Beau Rivage in Biloxi, Mississippi. And um, I was noticing we were having issues with getting people really engaged and enrolled with making hard decisions about how we were going to set up these other, you know, hotels to be successful and get them up and running. And it just really unlocked for me just like some basic truths around like, we've all heard that adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So it doesn't matter like, what great plans we had around our expansion, if we weren't going to get our humans to make that happen, then we weren't going to be successful. And so that just very early in my career, I just had interest in that. And so it made me excited about um, going back to school, um, learning about this more formally. And so I decided to go to business school and I was able to focus on um, strategy and org design as like two areas or org effectiveness, I think it was called at the time, um, to really just kind of understand how those worlds work together. 
And so I think that was sort of the seed that planted in me of like, I didn't know how I wanted to apply this career wise, but I was just like, oh, maybe I should be a consultant. And that never panned out. So I ended up working in financial services. Um, uh, I was supposed to be doing this. And then they ended up laying off the whole team. And so I ended up with a random career in brokerage services that moved me into marketing. And then eventually I came back to this um, and I got to do it in the space of training and development um, within financial services. So training brokers on how to sell new products and opened up a whole new opportunity for me to just really look at, again, this org culture and how do you move people in teams to make big pivots. And I eventually got a great opportunity to do that at Sephora and from Sephora, got to build out a major turn, you know, that we were doing in the Americas region as we were expanding, which then opened up this opportunity at Box to do that. And then I uh, got to expand a little bit more and take on my first head of people role, which I was able to do at Patreon and now Weight Watchers. That is like the shortest, most concise way I can explain my career. I really was trying there. <laughs> It was great. So, um, so uh, I think the thing for, uh, you know, our listeners is, you know, you had obviously you were mentioning you were in finance and, you know, uh, training those brokers and then you sort of pivoted into going to Sephora, right? Like, so that step put you still kind of training people. Is that, is that yeah. fair to say? Mm -hmm. And was that when you decided, Hey, this is where I'm going to ultimately was like chief people officer at any company going to be the goal or were you more just continuing to progress in the career that you had? Because you spent 12 years at Sephora. So that's a really Yeah. Long. It's such a funny question. Like I was probably the the last person to realize that I was going to pursue a career as a chief people officer. Um, so I would definitely classify myself as a late bloomer. I would say a lot of what inspired me was really around um, scaling teams and scaling culture. Like that has always been the thing that has gotten me the most excited. And I was always chasing ways to figure out how I could do it. So even like my career, which stayed in this learning and development path, when I went to Sephora, even my role just started blossoming around that problem because we were scaling at the time we had 10,000 employees. When I left, we were like well over a billion plus like 18,000 plus employees. Like when we were doing that work, I was always attracted to like how do you scale? Like, how do you get this one thing, this one experience in this store so right that you can do it in multiple stores or when you're opening in a new state or for us in a new country, how do you make sure that you're right, driving the right outcomes everywhere? And so I just started to take on more work in the org design space and the talent development space. And I would have been perfectly happy in a career where I got to do that and focus on that forever. But it was interesting that it was other people that kind of saw in me my excitement about the business side and really driving revenue and driving, you know, OI health, that they were like, have you thought about this role of like actually leading a people team? And I was um, fortunately able to work for some amazing um, heads of people and through their encouragement and a mentor that gave me a nudge, they kind of pushed me out of the door and said, you should really think about sitting in that top seat. And I think that that was sort of a personal lesson for me. Like, I think if I had to ask myself why I didn't see myself as a chief people officer, I think it got down to like a fear of failing. Um, and I think that that's something that we all have. Like we all have that voice that it's like, can you do it? Are you sure you're the person or 
what happens if something goes wrong? And I think particularly women, I think that sometimes we can talk ourselves out of opportunities because it's like, we're not so on the nose a hundred percent across all these topics instead of asking ourselves better questions around um, our ability to learn. So learning agility, context shifting, like I've worked in five different industries, um, your ability to kind of put things together are these things that generally give you energy and where do you have proven success and can you find an organization that um, allows you to kind of bring those tools into your work so I think that was just a good life lesson for me and I appreciated that so I was a very unlikely um, head of people but I have to say this has been my favorite role and job that I've that I've had and I've really enjoyed all of my roles. That's awesome. Um, really, really fantastic. So, um, and I, you, you highlighted a mentor, right? Like sort of like recognize and just different people around you, but certainly one particular mentor saying, Hey, take the next step. Um, and I think that's a really good thing to kind of, you know, um, for our listeners, it's just, you know, mentors are everywhere, right. Or people that can help you. Um, and you may, um, find I, in my opinion, you may find yourself helping those mentors in the future as well. Right. Because as long as everyone's together, kind of doing good work, um, and people are recognizing kind of the talent in each other, you sort of, um, I don't know, I think I just think it's super positive. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like, I think sometimes people um, think of mentorship and it's like, I need this one person that's 50 levels above to just take me under their wing. When I think we, as peers, mentor each other a ton, um, we see each other um, in battle every day. And it's like, I can see your growth spurt. I can see your effectiveness. And so I think just keeping a cohort of people around you um, that you can exchange ideas, you can benchmark, you can talk about what you're working on, I can share what I'm working on. And I think in general, the more we can kind of build and deepen and, and kind of pour into those relationships, you can get that mentorship in 50 different directions from 50 different people. Um, and so I've been very grateful that I, I could list like tons of people who have served as a mentor to me that who are both peers, bosses, people that have worked in other organizations that have seen the work that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I say look for them everywhere because you you never know. And sometimes it's even micro support that you're getting through a particular decision that you need to make. So yeah, huge, huge fan oh. of getting help where you can and giving it back. <laughs> That's great. Same page. So um, it's kind of along those lines, but um, who was your best manager in your career and mm -hmm. why? Yeah. I've had, I've been very grateful. I have had multiple bests and they, and they ironically have the same name. Um, but I've had two managers who particularly, um, did the same thing really, really well. Um, they had very high expectations. Um, so they wouldn't accept anything less than awesome. And I think that when you are working from someone who has high expectations, it is the nudge that you need to really like make sure that you're stepping your game up. The second thing that they did really, really well is that when they would align behind you, like they would be like, okay, this is the play. So I want to, I will be right out there on the field with you, making sure that everyone is moving to make this play successful because you hit the first bar. Um, this, the third thing that they did is that they saw something in me that they they shared, they helped hold the mirror up to me to tell me when it was time to develop something because you needed to build that skill 
but also I see what you can do in your potential. And so feeling really visible as, as a teammate is such a gift that we as managers can provide. And I'd say the fourth thing that I think is incredibly important is they really knew me as a person. Um, so I wasn't just another contributor on the team, but they knew my background. They knew my family story. They knew how I got into the fields that I was in. They knew my insecurities and vulnerabilities, and they used all of that to help coach me better, to push me better. And I can definitely look at the two of them and know that I um, wouldn't have made it as far as I've made it without the two of them um, really like making such an investment um, in my ability to contribute as well as grow and confidence to like take on, you know, new and different things. Great. What key piece of advice would you give to our listeners on building a successful career? Oh, I would say, um, I mean, if I use sort of where I think I've found success, I think it's chasing problems and not roles. So chase the problems that that energize you um, and that that pique your curiosity, that get you, you know, randomly thinking the thought at 1 a.m. that you're like, I need to write that down. Um, when you chase those types of problems, as the kids say, it hits different. You know, it's like it just strikes you like as like um, it strikes from a place of passion and contribution um, that gets you more curious, willing to push, really thinking about the product that you design, really thinking about um, the, the space that you want to move. You want to get it from here to here. So I would say always chase that and not be as worried about what title is that? What role is that? Where does that sit on the on the overall you know, chain of life? Because you get to take that portfolio and those experiences and you get to leverage them for what you do now. Um, and the now is like whatever it is, however you want to contribute. I would say for me, every role that I've had from my first role sitting in Vegas as in a hotel doing you know, the work that I was doing, I draw upon that work. So I'm really happy with like the time that I spent learning and building because I'm able to leverage it in the work that I do today. Um, so I'd say definitely lean into that as much as you can. And then I think finding organizations um, that uh, that drive some of the purpose that get you excited um, and that it's an environment. So always interview to make sure you're understanding environment because you can um, have the best role in the worst environment and then you're kind of back to square one. So um, making sure that you're shopping for the right opportunities where you can, again, chase the problem, build a great base of skills and do it in an environment that allows you um, to grow and add and and because you get to take all that where you're going. Well, that's that's um, that's a really good call out. Like the culture of a company matters so much. Um, Definitely. And it's sort of where do you fit into that culture as well, right? Absolutely. And and I also think it's it shouldn't be on, um, you know, people who are uh, who joining the company to kind of change the culture, right? Like so that that's another thing, right? It should always you're adding the right yeah. leadership in place. It should uh, should exist. I yeah. agree. I think there's there's a a little bit of both in that. Like when you come, it's like you're gonna add. So Amanda brings the Amanda into box. It's like I bring the Tiffany into Weight Watchers. It's like we get to add to that culture. But to your point, like understanding the cultural norms and the mission and the vision and how that sort of um, draws in how we work together 
it's good for us to have a lens on that because not every culture is right for everyone. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. And it's also good to not acknowledge it. Sometimes you might get there and for very, you know, important reasons, the culture is going in, in a slightly different direction and you're kind of over here to evaluate, like, is this still the place where, where I get to do my best work? And um, I think it's, it's a choice that we should always think about very, um, very soberly so that we're always being intentional about where we give our time and our efforts. Good, um, good, 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 good insight is what I would say. What is your super strength? Oh, wow. Um, the self-deprecating count, um, humor, uh, <laughs> let me see. Uh, I mean, I, I think that of all the, like I've taken probably every from disc assessments to Enneagrams to like Gallup super strengths. Like, I think I'm, I'm the energizer. I think what I do well is I bring energy to, to things that I'm working on. And I think with teams, I think there's a pro and con to that. So, but I think on the pro side, I can get people excited about contributing to help get a goal over the line because I can really help paint a picture of why it matters and the important roles that we each do um, to help make that happen. So I think I'm good at, at throwing energy at a problem. Throwing energy at a problem. I also, having worked with you, would observe that you're really good at kind of uh, communicating what that problem is and how to solve it, if that makes sense. So kind of synthesizing all the information and getting people on board, which is a really good sales uh, technique. You so. <laughs> take a new career path. Yes, enterprise sales, here I come. If yeah, if you get, if you get uh, uh, sick of being a chief people officer. And what is your main fault? Yeah, I think my main superpower is my main fault. Um, I think what is great is when you want an energizer who can kind of help see the positive and help see the 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 light at the end of the tunnel and see that it's like things are possible. Um, but when things are bad and things are tough and hard, and there are some very specific things that are making today really tough and hard, my energy sometimes, my energizing can sometimes make people feel even worse or feel deflated or feel like, are you down with me on like, can I show you more details on why this isn't possible? And so um, I feel like sometimes where I struggle as a leader and make things hard is when I'm like over here, when I need to be like more boots on the ground. And it's like, no, help me understand what today's problem is, what's getting in the way and how can I use my voice or how can I use my my help or whatever is in my toolbox to help get us out of that particular fix that we're in. So I think it's, if it's overused, I'm like too Pollyanna up here when I need to be like in the streets, like doing the hand to hand, you know, uh, addressing of, of, of blockers. So um, I've really asked my team for feedback when they are feeling that way. Um, I give people language they can use of like, I need a level. It's like, okay, level with me. Um, but I try to kind of mine for this as a blind spot so that um, it's not holding people back or making people think that I'm like over here in La La Land. Um, yeah. Uh, that's uh, um, good self-awareness. Um, working what, on it. <laughs> what inspires you most? I think what inspires me most is purpose. Um, I'm just a very purpose-driven human. Like, 
the why for me matters. It is everything. It's like, why, why did I, why was I afforded this opportunity? Why are we in the work that we do? Why is it that, you know, this problem, why does it have to exist when there could be another way? Um, so I tend to get very attached to purpose and purpose in the organizations that I've worked for. So I've worked for very purpose-led organizations. And I think that was like the selling feature that got me to stack hands from, you know, Schwab to owning your financial future. I'm like, yeah, uh, to box, to powering how people collaborate all over the world. Patreon, just like changing the creator space so that all creators can get paid for their work to the work I do at Weight Watchers, where we're just powering the future of weight health and making it accessible for everyone and not making it about thinness, but making it about health. Um, my gosh, who doesn't want to be a part of that? So um, that is the thing that always inspires me and feeling like I can take whatever tools I have, whatever I've amassed to try to throw it at that problem or that opportunity. Um, that's what motivates me. Right. And um, what would you like to change about your current role? What would I like to change? Um, it's an interesting question. I actually really like my role. So I was trying to think like, what would I want differently? I think what's hard about the role, um, and I think especially in the people space is when you're stepping into any organization, particularly one where you're doing transformation, you you wish that you could fix the long-term problems that, or the certain problems you know are gonna take a longer arc to get done. You wish you could fix it today because unlike what we sell, it's like if I miss a sales today and pick up a sales tomorrow, I'm, I'm good. But when you're talking about issues that impact humans and their experience, um, you don't feel satisfied with an answer of, I can fix it, but it's gonna take me six months or seven months or these things are gonna need to be true. Um, so I think if I had a magic wand to my role, I would love to take away the pain that comes from hard choices that you are just making as you're trying to like make a, a major business shift or pivot. Um, but I think as far as the role, the remit, what we get to do, how we get to do it, um, you know, aside from, I wish I had unlimited budget so I could do all the things, <laughs> but um, that's irresponsible as a business, um, you know, but so you have to make those trade-offs. Um, but I would say those would be like the two I wishes that kind of come along with the role is just recognizing that healthy systems take time to build um, and time isn't on your side. And today's experience might not match what you know you'll be able to get to tomorrow. But I that don't said, <laughs> Yeah, all of that said, right? Yeah. If you didn't do this for a living and could do anything at all, what would it be? Mm. It's such a good question. Um, so outside of my work, so outside of what I do day to day, I sit on a board. Um, so I'm on the board of directors for the Museum of the African Diaspora. Mm -hmm. It's a Smithsonian affiliated museum here in San Francisco. And I would just work full time for the museum. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. I love art. Um, I love um, the diaspora. I love all the stories that come from the diaspora. Um, it's, it's my joy place. Um, so if money weren't an object, 
I would be over there doing something. I don't even know what I would be doing. I'd probably be working at the bookstore um, mm -hmm. and talking to all of the guests when they come. Um, but it just, I just love being in the space. I get very inspired and I love learning all that. So I think I'd probably do that. That's great. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was tied to the Smithsonian. That's, that's fantastic. So that, yeah. is that like primarily that's the funding or is it more just donations and, and that type of thing? It's an affiliate. So being a part of the affiliate program, um, I think is an important designation. I think as we are kind of repositioning this museum and sort of the space of fine arts, I think it opens up opportunities, whether it's exhibitions, um, funding, things like that, that designation is an important one that speaks to um, the legitimacy of the work that that's happening. And I think in the fine arts space, I think um, Black artists have struggled to, uh, to be as visible. And so I think that the museum plays this important role of kind of uniting countries all over the world and being able to draw those stories forward. So yeah, it's been um, such an exciting journey to be a part of and watch the evolution. Okay, other questions. So you mentioned San Francisco. Um, yeah. You've been there now for a long time, right? Like probably. It's the longest I've actually lived anywhere in my life, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, I'm, I'm rounding out a little over 20 years here. And you grew up in Illinois? Illinois and Pittsburgh. So I was moving back and forth between Illinois and Pittsburgh as a kid. So yes, I think that counts against the 20 years. Yeah. So it was hard. I haven't been anywhere like properly for a long stretch of time. So this is it. I'm, I don't think I'm living anywhere else. <laughs> if you So it, that's the question though. If you could live anywhere, where would it be? Well, I'll tell you the one thing that I get excited about is the, the potential of being bi-coastal um, where, you know, you have a house here and you have a house somewhere else. So if I had a house somewhere else, um, I really love New Orleans. So um, if money were no object, I would have an awesome house in the garden district somewhere. Um, Paris also comes to mind. Um, love, love, love Paris. Um, yeah, I think one of those two would capture my attention. Um, or DC, I really like DC. Um, yeah, so I would probably do something where I was like here and somewhere else, but I feel very tied to the to the Bay Area, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I think twenty years of your adult life—that's um, that's where you live. Like, yeah, for sure. it's my so, home. yeah, totally. It's funny now. My Chicago. parents are coming to me now, so I'm like, now <laughs> I host Christmas, so I'm like, oh, the power shift is happening. Like everyone's <laughs> coming to the Bay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, another fun question. Um, what is your favorite podcast? So I was laughing because you'll see that I'm a, I'm a nerd. I kind of like podcasts that are about people stuff. Um, and then my favorite one is um, Redefining Work, or sorry, Redefining HR um, with Lars Schmidt. Um, he is someone I really respect in this space. Um, so he's very thoughtful about people topics, which changing in the people space. Sometimes he's like part therapist for us and like talking about the difficult role that we kind of sit in during immense change. Um, like I felt like during COVID, I was like 
CPO doesn't stand for chief people officer. It stands for chief pandemic officer, but sure <laughs> enough, he would have a podcast about that and just like how things are changing in this space and how challenging it is uh, for us. So that's my favorite podcast. Got it. Good stuff. And then final question of all the questions today. Um, what is your favorite business book? So my favorite business book and randomly it sits with me because that's how much I love it is uh, the advantage. So um, mm -hmm. Patrick Lencioni, like if you could only read one business book, like that's it. And you only got one, I would read the advantage. Um, it is, I would say, a pretty critical book that talks about the importance of effective teams driving effective results. And kind of going back to how we started this conversation of culture, eat strategy for breakfast, it's such a core belief that I have that when you engage teams in the right way, um, you give them purpose, you um, make sure that you're getting rid of any issues that are preventing them from being blocked. Sometimes it's you don't give each other real feedback. Sometimes it's like, we're not clear on what the strategy is. Like if you fix all of those things, there's no way that you're not gonna just like fly. And so it really just kind of, I think very clearly with very practical guidance tells you how to do it. It's amazing. Well, I have not read it, so I will read it. I'll add it to my <laughs> list. Um, but uh, All right, Tiffany, thank you so much for the time today. This is fantastic. Really, really helpful uh, insights here. Um, and uh, hopefully we will see you soon. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. it. Bye-bye.